Christy, wasn't that awesome? Stand with me, if you will, for the reading of God's Word. We'll be reading Acts 1-8 this morning, a short verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Lord, bless your word. Bless us today as we just continue to, to seek your face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it's um, one of those odd Sundays where you have a couple holidays that, that come together, Memorial Day and, and Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday is probably not going to be celebrated uh, by many outside the church, and Memorial Day will. Uh, I want kids, you can be, man, look at this. Yeah. Make sure nobody slips out that's not supposed to go. I, I want you to know that um, I am a patriot. <laughs> uh, I, I'm a history, major history nut, and I love our country. I believe in our country. I do believe in our country, and, and some folks may disagree with me, but, but in our time, uh, we have... We have uh, mistaken and misplaced the dream of America with the American dream. And, and, and they're two very distinct things. The, the dream of, the, of America is this ideal of freedom, of liberty, of, of religious freedom, of, of the ability to, to freely speak and think and live. And, and, and then you have a, a term that was coined in the beginning of the 20th century called the American dream. And the American dream is not about freedom, but it's about cons- consumerism. And so I have fear that in our country we will somehow lose the dream of America and replace it with the American dream. I am a patriot, and I believe in our country, and I believe in the ideals of our country, and I, I believe in the sacrifice, and I'm thankful for the sacrifice of so many. As a matter of fact, if you've served in the military, would, would you just stand just for a moment? No military guys? Okay, there we go. Why don't we give them a hand? Don't you appreciate their sacrifice? So, so don't take uh, that, that pastors not preached a Memorial Day sermon on Memorial Day Sunday as anything to do with my lack of love for country or appreciation for sacrifice or belief in, in the dream of America. It's not. Uh, but folks, today is Pentecost Sunday. And as one of my theolo- theology teachers told me at one point or told our class at one point, Pentecost trumps everything else. <laughs> If Pentecost falls on Mother's Day, ladies, you'll get your flowers, but Pentecost trumps everything that we do. Pentecost is is the significant event in the life of the church that makes us the church. Pentecost trumps everything. And so what is the significance of of Pentecost Sunday? On Pentecost Sunday, we we didn't read the story, but on Pentecost Sunday, you you have the disciples, the followers of Jesus, the the men and women who are following Jesus that have gathered in an upper room. And it's 50 days after the Easter event, the the Calvary event, the Easter event, it's it's, it's 50. 40, Jesus has been with the disciples for 40 days, and then 10 days later, he says, I want you to go and wait in Jerusalem, and, and they're waiting, and they're praying, and they're, 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 they're strategizing. There's no other way to, to describe it as they begin to, to figure out who's going to replace Judas, and, and they're waiting for God to do something special in their midst. 
And then on Pentecost Sunday, as, as they've gathered, the, the Holy Spirit falls and indwells and empowers this small group of disciples. And, and most theologians will count this as the birth of the church. Pentecost Sunday is the church's birthday as the Holy Spirit indwells the, the people, the disciples of God, disciples of Jesus. And then there's this spreading. And as you read the book of Acts, the, the, the book of Acts is described rightfully so as, as, as the history, the birth of the church. And the, the, the church just begins to spread through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in this Pentecost event, you, you have the giving of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church, and the spread of the gospel beyond the Jews. And, and so we should be rejoicing in that because we've gathered in this place and we have church and, and we are followers of Jesus and the Holy Spirit indwells us and it all began on Pentecost Sunday. The Holy Spirit, hear me, the Holy Spirit is extremely important to people who call themselves Christian. Uh, I appreciate that I belong to a denomination that very particularly says we emphasize the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, we believe that the work of the Holy Spirit is significant and life-giving and life-changing. And I'm afraid and I believe that far too often, even in a church that emphasizes the work of the Holy Spirit, even in the Nazarene church, sometimes we can under-emphasize the Spirit and under-emphasize the significance of of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, I think in the late summer, we're, we're going to go through James this summer, and at the end of the summer, I, I think I'd like to do a series on the Holy Spirit. And I want you to know the Holy Spirit is not lesser God. The Holy Spirit is all God, and the Holy Spirit is present in this place today. The Holy Spirit is significant. Matter of fact, the Holy Spirit makes us the church. <laughs> when you consider Pentecost Sunday as the giving of the Holy Spirit, and really there is no church. There's people, but there's not the church as God intends the church to be the church until the Holy Spirit is present. And so for, for us to be the church, it is centered, it is reliant upon the, the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. If the Holy Spirit is not among us, if the Holy Spirit is not here, if we don't sense the Spirit's move, if we're not submissive to the Spirit's move, then we are not the church. We're just an organization that happens to meet in a church building on Sunday morning. And then you consider what the Holy Spirit did in the book of Acts and the spreading of the church. And, and, and actually the word church, could it, the, the, the original word is ecclesia, which is the sent out ones. And, and so you have in the work of the Holy Spirit this ideal of the church becoming the people of God who are sent into the world. I, I want you to hear me this morning. 
The significance of the Spirit at work in the life of this church is not just for what happens in this building, but the work of the Spirit is a sending work. It is equipping, empowering, enlightening, and sending us out into the world. And so this morning, as a church, as individuals, as people, if we are not allowing the the Spirit to empower us and to send us, then we're really kind of missing the whole point of Pentecost. What God was trying to significantly do on Pentecost Sunday. And I'll let you know, last week, I think it's Wesley that said that he had set himself on fire and let people watch him burn. Uh, that's kind of what I did last week. Did I look like I was melting last week? I'm just curious. Um, last week, I let you guys kind of sleepwalk through the sermon because I was sick. This week, I won't tolerate it, okay? I'll, I'll come right down among you. I had to go home after the service and change my shirt and sit in a chair for a while. And then I came and preached again and changed another shirt. (laughs) It was a bad day. Amen. And uh, I hope you were praying for me. Pentecost is a significant event where God empowers, equips, and sends his people. You know, there's been some, I I believe, some some misunderstanding of the power of the Spirit. I I think in charismatic movements that the power of the Spirit is all about worship and it's all about celebration and and that becomes the emphasis. And, you know, we we take the gift of, of, of speaking in tongues and it becomes a worship gift when in Acts... It's an evangelistic gift. Even in our, in our denomination, in our church, it, it's become this personal piety. And, and, and once again, the work of the Holy Spirit is not a sending work, but it's, it, it's somehow a, a self-centered work. I want you to know that Pentecost is a sending event. So here we are on Pentecost Sunday, and and, and we're, we're talking about the state of the church. And last week, we talked about where we were. And, and you know, we oriented ourselves in, in kind of our history of, uh, of where we are currently. And, and this week, we're talking about where we're going. And it seems completely appropriate as we talk about Pentecost because Pentecost means the Holy Spirit is taking the church somewhere, right? Somebody say amen, okay? Help me. You guys got to help me this morning. Help me. Please help me, Okay. Pentecost is this sending event, and, and, and we're on our way, and we, this is the series, and last week we talked about where we are, and we, we used the phrase, good is the enemy of great, which is from Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, and, and, and in a lot of ways, I believe this is a very solid, good church. I mean, when you, when you consider facilities, when you, when, when you consider all you folks and, and all that you do, this is a very good church. But, but I believe God is calling us to be more than just a good church. And if God, we don't want to be a good church if God is calling us to be a great church. Amen? And I believe, I believe God is calling this church to be a great church. Last week, we looked just very briefly at what it means to be a great church. And, you know, we, 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 we 
gave you that, the ideal that great churches are intentional churches. In other words, they, they, they don't just haphazardly uh, go through the motions, but, but, but they're intentional in their vision, they're intentional in their ministry, they're intentional in their use of resources, they're intentionally praying, they're intentionally seeking God's face, they're intentional in all they do. We talked about the ideal that great churches use their unique shape to minister to their community. This community has particular needs that through the power of the Holy Spirit, God has brought together a group of people who through our unique gifts and talents can minister to those needs. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that we serve a God who has a vision in mind, a particular vision in mind for this church, and it doesn't have to look like any other church, but it has to look like the church that God intends us to be? A unique vision for a unique people to minister in a unique community. And we talked a little bit about our, you're, you're, you're great at hospitality, you're great at mentoring, you're, you're, you're gifted. And we talked about the significance of being a holy people, of our holiness doctrine. We are a holiness church. We believe that God changes us from the inside out, that he doesn't just save us and leave us, that holiness means that that what we're doing is not just punching a ticket into heaven, but somehow God wants us to be changed in the midst of our day-to-day life. I, I want you to know this morning that God intends every part of your life to be holy, sanctified, submitted to him, and his Holy Spirit can indwell it and change it. He can make, he can make Monday night homework time holy. Do we believe that still? <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> we do, don't we? We do, don't we? God wants to make every aspect of your home holy and your life holy. And so we've talked about those two things. And then this morning, one final thing, great churches are willing to be sent. I thought about this, and we're going to talk about the Great Commission in just a few moments, or read the Great Commission and talk just very briefly about it. And I thought about phrasing it like this, great commissions or great churches fulfill the Great Commission. But, but, but I think there's a sending, and, and, and the ideal of being the sent ones and a sent church is a mark of a great church. Matter of fact, Mark Statura says the mark of a great church is not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. And, and as I think about this church, and, and, and I think about those who've, who've come from its ranks that are ministering and, and those who are currently here, that are being called into the ministry. I, I see that God is, is equipping us to be a sending church. And that, that means that, that, that what we do is not just measured by, by how many people we gather on a Sunday morning, but what impact are we making outside these walls through the week and in other places. Now, there's a lot of sending passages in the Bible and and I just referred to one, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 21. Jesus gives the marching orders to the disciples. And this is prior uh, to Pentecost. And this is prior uh, to, to, to the Holy Spirit coming. And Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is what we're to be doing. Going and making disciples. Go and make disciples. Now, now I believe... There's two ways, two significant ways that the church fulfills this commandment of Jesus. And this is a commandment of Jesus, right? Amen? First, we develop the disciples and potential disciples God has entrusted to our care. Those people that are in this church, we take seriously the ideal of discipling. We take serious the ideal of being disciple. If you're hearing my words this morning, you are to, to, to fulfill the words of Jesus, one thing you are doing is you are submitting yourself to a discipleship process. You're learning and you're listening and you're seeking. And and, and really, to to be honest, this is the beginning of it. If we cannot submit ourselves to the discipleship process, then it's very difficult for us to go and make other disciples. See, dependent on this process is the ideal that I am going to be submissive and humble enough to learn from other folks. That I'm going to allow a church, a community to gather around me and grow me. But then as a church, we take care of those who've been entrusted into our care. And, and I've got to tell you, this church does an incredible job with the disciples that are entrusted to your care. I believe you pray for them and you love them and you encourage them. I see see the mark of it all over this church. As you lift people up who have been entrusted to your care, tremendous Sunday school teachers, tremendous children's workers, tremendous youth workers, tremendous people willing to invest in the life of others. But there's a second aspect of this, and it's this. We make disciples by leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. As well as we're doing with the first part of this equation, we are not doing as well with the second part of the equation. Sure, people are finding the Lord. We're having a few people find the Lord. We put a salvation candle up here and through our ministry several times. And this candle will be lit anytime someone finds a new relationship with Christ. And over the past, I don't know, six, seven months, it's been lit several times. And there's been more than probably a dozen salvations in our church over the past year. And that's good. And, you know, I've even led people to the Lord over the past year. So there's some activity. But folks, can we agree it's not like what we would want to see? Amen? I think we need a heartier amen to that. Don't we want to see people coming to Christ? Isn't that the point of all that we're doing? You know, to bring people into a relationship with Christ and grow them 
to a, a level of holiness and holiness of life several months ago. And I want you to understand that this isn't just a problem unique to our church. Um, and Brother Purdue, I'm not sure what you're seeing as you travel, but it is a problem in the church. <laughs> the, the lack of salvations in our churches. Several months ago, Mike Dennis, who's a pastor in northern Ohio, put on his Facebook page, and it's got to be true because it was on Facebook, um, that it takes 800 Christians to reach one non-Christian with the gospel. Um, That's pretty close to what I see in the church. People are not reaching others, non-Christians, with the gospel as we'd like to see. And I, the question I have is, are we evangelistically passive? Are, are we passive? Or do, do we not care? And as I thought about that, I don't think that's true. I, I think we do care. I, I think you really care about lost men and women, boys and girls. Amen? I, you know, as, as I've talked to people in this church, you do really care. And there's family members that you love and you're praying for. There's people that you know that you love and you're praying for. Discipleship, though, is a relationship word. Now, now we understand that intuitively and, and we think about the process of this discipleship. Discipleship is not just about getting more information, but it's about placing meaning to the information that we, we receive. Pro- probably you've gotten all the information you need to last your lifetime, but, but somehow you've got to place meaning on that information, and that meaning comes as you gather in groups and, and you discuss God's Word together. You realize God's Word is meant to be read with other folks, right? <laughs> I, I, I want you to know... I, you are always welcome here. I, I love if you're a part of our church. But, but I've got to tell you, if you're not part of a disciple group of some type, a Sunday school, a small group, you're missing the wonder of learning about God's word and through God's word with a group of people. It's significant. It's life-changing. It's meaningful. Find a Sunday school class. Find a small group of some type. Pastor Joe is our discipleship pastor. We want you to be plugged in because discipleship is a relationship word. Discipleship with regard to a pre-Christian is also a relationship word. Evangelistic discipleship is built on conversations and connections. Even before someone comes to Christ, there is the building of a relationship that is important and crucial. There's a couple of passages that help us see where we should be going. Acts 2, 46-47. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
That there's something that's implied in this passage, and the implication is that there's people who are saved, and there's people that are unsaved, and, and, and they're including them in the conversation, and they're loving them, and they're leading them. In the process, the kingdom is being built. This intentional including of non-believers, pre-believers, in, com- in discipleship conversations. Can we look at one more scripture to help us see where we need to head as a church? Matthew 9, 35-38. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful. Do you believe that this morning? (laughs) But the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. I want you to know over the last few months, the scripture has represented a paradigm shift in in my thought process. Um, I want you to know, God's still teaching me. He's still leading me, and God still surprises me and changes my mind from time to time. And everybody said, amen, right? This has represented a paradigm shift in my mind. Let's think of it like this. Um, Last fall, Russ Borland took me out in his combine, okay? And we got to watch him. Worked so hard in that air-conditioned combine. <laughs> it was hard work, but I tell you, it was a lot easier than it used to be, I have a feeling. As we went through those fields and did acre after acre after acre, you know, soybean just spitting up behind us, you know, it was a really cool thing, and you know, had a good time. And, uh, and so Spencer and I rode with him. But, but what if Russ would have taken that combine and said, well, you know, I really don't want to be out in the field. I think what I want to do is just go down Route 31 because it's easier. <laughs> I get better gas mileage on Route 31. How much would he harvest? You guys know this. Seriously, you do. How much would he harvest on Route 31? Nothing. Why? For the combine to be productive, it needs to be in the field. It needs to be where the harvest is. You know, I'm convinced and concerned that we're not in the harvest field. That, that, that we've become so accustomed to the Christian bubble that many of us don't even have unsaved people that we have a connection with. You know, I, I think we've lost, we have spiritual amnesia. And we look back at the day when people were being saved at the altar and forget that in that day, when those people were coming and being saved at the altars, there was a relationship with people in the church. There was a connection. If there wasn't a connection with the church, there was at least a familiar connection where they grew up in the church i want you to know that we live in a culture now today where the church is not seen as relevant where where people don't have the same connection that they had even 40 years ago 
with a church, with Christianity. And they see this place and they see us as disconnected and irrelevant. And unless relationship is built first, they're not just going to walk in our back doors and come streaming to our altars. We're not evangelistic, evangelistically passive, but we may be evangelistically disconnected. Dan Kimball wrote a book, and it's called They Like Jesus But Not the Church. And, and he uses that phrase, the Christian bubble. And, and most of us, if we were to, just to stop and think about those that we know that are not Christians... If we were honest, we would say there's probably not a whole lot that we're connected to. I I think of of myself as your pastor. Now, you know, as as I lived in Hamilton and I I coached and I did all these things, you know, there there were a lot of pre-Christian people that I had relationships with. That, that, that we would go out and we'd eat with and and, and they would order their beer and be amazed that I didn't. But as I've come up here to be your pastor, you know, it's a lot harder to make those connections. Somebody say amen with me. I feel like I'm floundering up here. It's hard to make those connections, right? Can we be honest enough to say that that we tend to just associate with those who are in the church? And and folks, salt can't be salt in a salt shaker. (laughs) Hiding light under a bushel is not wise. Let me ask you this, how many non-Christians, especially those between the ages of 18 to 35, and I use that generation because we're losing that generation, and it's not acceptable to lose a generation, okay? If you lose the generation of the 18 to 35-year-olds, guess what? You're going to lose the next generation and the next generation unless God sends a revival. How many non-Christians, especially those 18 to 35, are you friends with and praying for? Not, not that you just simply know, not, not just co-workers that sometimes you can coerce a prayer request out of, but you're friends with. That, that you could invite them over to watch a stupid Ohio State football game with and have a conversation. See, I, I believe discipleship's about conversations. And, and, and sometimes a conversion discipleship relationship begins a long time before they make a commitment to Christ. Have a grill out. Have a meal with. I think we have to be careful here that we, we don't become evangelistic salespeople, <laughs> uh, but we truly love people. Uh, we, we invest in them, and, and, and we're not just trying to do an evangelistic notch on our belt, but, but, but we're, we're truly interested in loving people just like Jesus was truly interested in loving people. See, Jesus calls us to go to the lost and not simply to wait for the lost to come to us. So, so how do we make those connections? Where, where, where do we go from here? And, and this has been the, the, the entire time I've been here. It's been this, this churning, this process. Uh, God's working on me and he's working with others. And 
You know, we're not done. We haven't figured this all out. But one of the most effective ways to reach non-Christians with the good news is new expressions of the church. And there's many forms that comes in. It, it comes in the ideal of house churches, off-site Bible studies, uh, off-site ministries, off-site services, campus, community meals. It, it starts with New Start churches. If you want to reach other folks, people who are not believers now, it, the easiest way to do that is to begin new churches. So your church board, under my leadership and my request, set a goal in the fall, and the goal is two by 2020. By, by the year 2020, we want to see two fresh expressions of church spring from this place. And we don't even know exactly what that looks like. We, we, we've not tried to define that entirely. Here's what I know. In Union County, Ohio, there is one Nazarene church. Uh, where I came from in Butler County, there was like 900 Nazarene churches. We need another Nazarene church in Union County. Amen? First thing we're doing is we're investing in staff to help us towards this goal. And Christy, can you stand, Pastor Christy? Christy is our, well, she's been our community outreach pastor for the past year. And before that, I, I think you were called teaching pastor. You've been on staff here for two years. Uh, but, but your church board has made the significant investment in hiring Christy on a part-time basis. Uh, she is currently a part-time school teacher, and, uh, or she's full-time, but she'll be part-time next year, and she'll be working for the church part-time. Christy's goal, Christy's job description will be directed towards being in the community and leading us into the community, leading us in making community connections. As a matter of fact, there will be an opportunity on July 4th. July 4th, we are partnering with Agape Church, a church out of Hope Center, on a July 4th event at the fairground where literally thousands of people will come through a barbecue and a play area, and Christy will be leading us and providing volunteers partnering with Agape Church and ministering and making community connections. Do you, will you need volunteers or are you just going to do it yourself? Lots of volunteers. And so when, she, when you see Christy coming towards you, do not run, okay? Uh, allow her to recruit and listen to her heart. I believe in Why don't we give her a hand? Don't you appreciate Christy? I appreciate all she does, tremendous preacher, tremendous lady of God, and I believe God's going to use this investment as we connect with our community. So how can I participate? How can you participate? Alan Hirsch, who's a Scottish theologian, was at M15, and and M15 is Mission 15, and it's between the General Assemblies of the Church of the Nazarene. And it's, in this, it's a, the focus is evangelistic outreach. Are we connecting with our community? And this past year, one of the emphasis was, was the planting of churches and the beginning of new churches. And Alan Hirsch used a phrase that I, that I really liked. He said, plant the gospel, not churches. And that phrase is freeing in that, that you know, we don't have to determine completely ecclesiology, but we can just begin to plant the gospel and see what God's going to grow, 
you, you know, instead of as a church body forcing something, I would much prefer that God begin something and we see what God's doing and seize on to that. Amen? You know, when you, when you think about this church, do you realize where we began? This is a church that started in a house. And so there's something almost poetic and something almost beautiful about the ideal that this church that began in a house could potentially begin another church that began in a house. And then what God does with that. So how can you plant the gospel outside these walls? What relationship do you have with someone else that can be, can be cultivated into a discipleship relationship? Maybe it's somebody that's early in their Christian walk. Maybe it's somebody that's, that's not claimed a relationship with Christ. And, and, and there's a process and there's conversations and connections that need to occur. What relationship can be cultivated into a discipleship relation? What group are you part of that can become a discipleship group? You know, maybe you have a group of friends that... that that, that have a lot of questions, and you can begin a question and answer, answer group, or, or maybe it's a learning together, or, or maybe you've got kids in your neighborhood, and, and you know what people never reject, <laughs> whether they're Christian or not? Prayer. Maybe you have friends in your neighborhood, and, and your kids are in school together, and you say, hey, how about once a week we just get together and maybe read a little the Bible and Pray for our kids. You might be surprised at how well received that might be. What, what neighborhood need is God calling you to meet? I mean, what, what gift do you have that, that meets a specific need of your neighborhood and God is calling you to minister and plant the gospel? Her said, Every apple is an orchard. <laughs> Which means that in this church, there are many churches. There are many seats. There are many ways that God can use us in dynamic and creative ways. So be creative. Our, our secretary, Lisa, we've got an awesome secretary. If you've not met her, thank you, June, for referring her over here, she does a tremendous job. If you've not met her, come in and meet her. Super lady, good Christian lady. Um, goes to another church, and that's good. I, you know, I'm, I'm glad she's a believer, and, and she does such an awesome job. But, but Lisa has a goat farm. <laughs> uh, they own a goat farm. And, and, and you know, I asked her, you know, she, when she came in, she, she's talking about this goat farm and using it for the ministry. And, and, and she's got in her mind this ideal that, that, that somehow God's going to use this goat farm as a retreat center for women. How creative. You know, what, what creative way is God inviting you, allowing you, giving you the opportunity to plant the gospel? Craig Groeschel is the pastor of Life Church, which is one of the fastest growing churches in North America. I saw Craig at um, Catalyst Conference a couple times. Tremendous speaker, very, an awesome communicator. But, but his phrase that, that many people quote is this, to reach people that no one is reaching, you have to do things no one is doing. 
Folks, can we be creative enough? Can we be attentive enough to the move of God that we can minister in ways that reach people that no one else is reaching? I got to tell you, as your pastor, I've got a hunger for people finding the Lord. I do. And, you know, I'd love to see every Sunday morning seekers at our altars. But you know when it's really going to happen? (laughs) When people are finding the Lord at your kitchen table over conversation. When you begin to take people out to Starbucks for coffee and over a conversation, over a cup of coffee, someone finds relationship with Christ. As hungry as I am to see it happening at these altars, I've got to tell you it's not going to happen unless it's happening out there. This is a good church that God is calling to be great. And our greatness, to to find greatness, it won't be just in what we do in here, but it will be in our willingness to be sent by God, to be a seed that he plants. Stand with me, if you will. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for these people. These are good folks. They love you, and Lord, they have a passion for your kingdom. I pray now, Lord, that you'll help us not to be content. It's easy just to to kind of be content where we're at. Great church, good facilities, good Sunday school classes, solid ministries. We gather on Sunday and we sing a few songs and we hear a message. And and then, Lord, we get to come back and, and, and come to other ministry opportunities. Help us not to be content. But Lord, lead us, and as you lead us, Lord, may we, be, um, may we just be obedient. Fill us once again with your spirit. As we go from this place, help us to realize that, that we're entering the harvest field as we leave these, these, these doors. Make us seeds. Lord, make us, uh, give us the ability and the vision to plant the gospel wherever we go today. Now, Lord, I love you, and I thank you for your work in my life and your work in this church. Keep us true to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.